Chapter Twenty Three of the Sign of Silence by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twenty Three, Love's Confession. I dined alone at the club and afterwards sat over my coffee in one of the smaller white-paneled rooms, gazing up at the atom ceiling and my mind full of the gravest thoughts. What had Edwards meant when he promised me an unpleasant surprise? Had the woman Petrie already made a statement incriminating my well-beloved? If so, I would at once demand the arrest of her and her accomplices for attempted murder. It had suggested itself to me to make a complete revelation to Edwards of the whole of my exciting adventure at Colchester, but on mature consideration I saw that such a course might thwart my endeavors to come face to face with Digby. Therefore I held my tongue. But were Edward's suspicions that the assassin Kane and the man I knew as Sir Digby Kemsley were one and the same correct, or were they not? The method by which the unfortunate Englishman in Peru had been foully done to death was similar to the means employed against myself at Colchester on the previous night. Again the fact that the victim did not shout or call for aid was, no doubt, due to the administration of that drug which produced complete paralysis of the muscles and yet left the senses perfectly normal. Was that Indian whom they call Ali really a Peruvian native, the accomplice of Cain? I now felt confident that this was so. But in what manner could the impostor have obtained power over Frida? Why did she not take courage and reveal to me the truth? Presently I took a taxi down to Cromwell Road, and found my well-beloved with thin, pale, drawn face, endeavoring to do some fancy needlework by the drawing-room fire. Her mother had retired with a bad headache, she said, and she was alone. "'I expected you yesterday, Teddy,' she said, taking my hand. "'I waited all day, but you never came.' "'I had to go into the country,' I replied somewhat lamely. Then, after a brief conversation upon trivialities, during which time I sat regarding her closely, and noting how nervous and agitated she seemed, she suddenly asked, "'Well, have you heard anything more of that woman, Mrs. Petrie?' "'I believe she's gone abroad,' I replied with evasion. Frida's lips twitched convulsively, and she gave vent to a slight sigh, of relief perhaps. "'Tell me, dearest,' I said, bending and stroking her soft hair from her white brow, "'are you still so full of anxiety? Do you still fear the exposure of the truth?' She did not reply, but of a sudden buried her face upon my shoulder and burst into tears. Ah, I sighed, still stroking her hair sympathetically. I know what you must suffer, darling, of the terrible mental strain upon you. I believe in your innocence. I still believe in it, and if you will bear a stout heart and trust me, I believe I shall succeed in worsting your enemies. In a moment her tear-stained face was raised to mine. "'Do you really believe that you can, dear?' she asked anxiously. "'Do you actually anticipate extricating me from this terrible position of doubt, uncertainty, and guilt?' "'I do, if you will only trust me, and keep a brave heart, darling,' I said. "'Already I have made several discoveries, startling ones. "'About Mrs. Petrie, perhaps?' "'About her and about others.' "'What about her?' "'I have found out where she is living, down at Colchester.' what she gasped starting you've been down there yes i was there yesterday and i saw ali and the two servants you saw them and spoke to them she cried incredibly yes 
but teddy ah you don't know how injudicious it was for you to visit them why you might have might have what i asked endeavouring to betray no surprise at her words well i mean you should not have ventured into the enemy's camp like that it was dangerous she declared why they are quite unscrupulous she replied briefly they are your enemies i know but i cannot see why they should be mine i remarked my enemies yes my love cried bitterly it will not be long before that woman makes a charge against me teddy one which i shall not be able to refute but i will assist you against them i love you frida and it is my duty to defend you i declared ah you were always so good and generous she remarked wistfully but in this case i cannot alas see how you can render me any aid the police will make inquiries and-and then the end she added in a voice scarce above a whisper no no i urged don't speak in that hopeless strain darling i know your position is a terrible one we need not refer to details as they are painful to both of us but i am straining every nerve working night and day to clear up the mystery and lift from you this cloud of suspicion i have already commenced by learning one or two facts facts of which the police remain in ignorance although you refuse to tell me why i cannot discern the name of the unfortunate girl who lost her life i have succeeded in gaining knowledge of it was not the girl named marie brock she started again at hearing the name yes she replied at once who told you i discovered it for myself i replied who was the girl tell me a friend of digby kemsley's a foreigner of course yes belgian i believe from brussels eh perhaps i don't know for certain and she learned some great secret of digby's which was the motive of the crime i suggested but my love only shook her pretty head blankly saying i don't know perhaps she knew something to his detriment and in order to silence her she was killed i suggested perhaps she made no protest of her own innocence i noticed she seemed to place herself unreservedly in my hands to judge her as i thought fit yet had not her own admissions been extremely strange ones had she not practically avowed her guilt can you tell me nothing concerning this belgian girl i asked her a few moments later i only knew her but very slightly pardon me putting to you such a pointed question frida but were you jealous of her jealous she ejaculated why dear me no why should i be jealous who suggested that mrs petrie she declares that your jealousy was the motive of the crime and that digby himself can bear witness to it she said that cried my love her eyes flashing in fierce anger she's a wicked liar i know she is and i intend to prove her so i replied with confidence when she and i meet again we have an account to settle you will see ah teddy beware of her she's a dangerous woman highly dangerous declared my love apprehensively you don't know her as i do you do not know the grave evil and utter ruin she has brought upon others so i beg of you to be careful not to be entrapped have others been entrapped then i asked with great curiosity i don't know no please don't ask me she protested i don't know her response was unreal my well-beloved was i knew in possession of some terrible secret which she dared not betray yet why were her lips sealed what did she fear i intend to find digby 
and demand the truth from him, I said, after we had been silent for a long time. I will never rest until I stand before him face to face. Ah, no, dear, she cried in quick alarm, starting up and flinging both her arms about my neck. No, don't do that, she implored. Why not? Because he will condemn me. He will think you have learned something from me, she declared in deep distress. But I shall reveal to him my sources of information, I said. Since that fatal night I have learned that the man whom I believed was my firm friend has betrayed me. An explanation is due to me, and I intend to have one. At my expense, eh? she asked in bitter reproach. No, dearest, the result shall not fall upon you, I said. I will see to that. A foul and dastardly crime has been committed, and the assassin shall be brought to punishment. My well-beloved shuddered in my arms as she heard my words, as though the guilt were upon her. I detected it and became more than ever puzzled. Why did she seek to secure this man's freedom? I asked her that question point-blank, whereupon in a hard, faltering voice she replied, "'Because, dear, while he is still a fugitive from justice, I feel myself safe. The hour he is arrested is the hour of my doom.' why speak so despondently i asked have i not promised to protect you from those people how can you if they make allegations against me and bring up witnesses who will commit perjury who will swear anything in order that the guilt shall be placed upon my head she asked in despair though the justice often dispersed by country magistrates is a disgraceful travesty of right and wrong yet we still have in england justice in the criminal courts i said rest assured that no jury will convict an innocent woman of the crime of murder she stood slightly away from me staring blankly straight before her then suddenly she pressed both hands upon her brow and cried in a low intense voice may god have pity on me yes i said very earnestly trust in him dearest and he will help you ah she cried you don't know how i suffer of all the terror all the dread that haunts me day and night each ring at the door i fear may be the police every man who passes the house i fear may be a detective watching this torture is too awful i feel i shall go mad mad and she paced the room in her despair while i stood watching her unable to still the wild frantic terror that had gripped her young heart what could i do what could i think this cannot go on frida i cried at last in desperation i will search out this man i'll grip him by the throat and force the truth from him i declared setting my teeth hard i love you and i will not stand by and see you suffer like this ah no she implored suddenly approaching me flinging herself upon her knees and gripping my hands no i beg of you not to do that she cried hoarsely but why i demanded surely you can tell me the reason of your fear i went on the man is a rank impostor that has been proved already by the police do you know that she asked in an instant grave are you quite certain of that remember you have all along believed him to be the real sir digby what is your belief frida i asked her very earnestly she drew a long breath and hesitated truth to tell dear i don't know what to think sometimes i believe he must be the real person and at other times i am filled with doubt but now tell me i urged assisting her to rise to her feet and then placing my arm about her neck so that her pretty head fell upon my shoulder answer me truthfully this one question for all depends upon it 
how is it that this man has secured such a hold upon you how is it that with you his word is law that though he is a fugitive from justice you refuse to say a single word against him or to give me one clue to the solution of this mystery her face was blanched to the lips she trembled in my embrace drawing a long breath i-i'm sorry dear but i-i can't tell you i-i dare not can't you understand she asked with despair in her great wide open eyes i dare not end of chapter twenty three recording by tom weiss tom's audiobooks dot com